Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Long ago, a man sought the perfect picture of peace. Not finding one that satisfied, he announced a contest to produce this masterpiece. The challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere, and paintings arrived far and wide. Finally, the great day of revelation have arrived. The judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another. And while the viewers clapped and cheered, the tension grew. Only two pictures remained unveiled. As a judge pulled the cover from one, a hush fell over the crowd. A mirror-smooth lake reflected lacy green birches under the soft blush of the evening sky. Along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Surely this was the winner. The man with the vision uncovered the second painting himself, and the crowd gasped in surprise. Could this be peace? A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down a rocky precipice. The crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. In the midst of the thundering noises and bitter chill, a spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. One of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters as if foolishly seeking to experience its full power. A little bird had built a nest in the elbow of that branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on the eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she manifested peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. World peace is something that a lot of people want, or at least they say that they want. The desire for it is so well known that it's become kind of a cliché. If you could have one thing, what would it be? World peace, they say. Yet as much as it is desired, it has also been seemingly impossible to achieve. An article revealed not too long ago that a study of the last 3,500 plus years of recorded history contained only 286 years of peace. That's less than 8%. And what's worse is during that period, over 8,000 treaties have been signed and broken. This is despite the fact that Jesus has already come as our, as our Messiah the first time. Despite the fact that the world has seen the first coming of the Prince of Peace, there is no peace as we think of it. Why is that? I think perhaps the problem is that we have the wrong definition of peace. You see, I think that peace is not the absence of the storm, but confidence within the storm. When we look at the life of Christ, it was not characterized by peace and tranquility, but it was by conflict and difficulty. I preach to my youth all the time 
In order to be a great Christian, you must be going through turmoil. Because if you're not, you're not doing it right. We are put here to experience that. To experience the life that Christ had experienced. Which is why he came to earth. Not only to be here as our friend and our teacher, but also to show what our lives should mirror. The gift of Christ during the Christmas season had more than one purpose. It wasn't so that we could tell a great story to our kids on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. This was real life. This is what was happening. God so loved us, he sent his son as the ultimate sacrifice, as the ultimate gift, so that you, me, and others can experience love. We could experience hope in a time when there seems to be no hope. The overriding characteristic that we can see when we go through a storm and when Christ goes through a storm when we read about it is the confidence that he had. He was confident that he would win in the end. He knew this. And where we are here today, we are a living testimony that he did win. We have been going through the titles that Christ was given in Isaiah chapter 9. We have talked about Jesus. We've talked about Emmanuel. Last week was the everlasting father. Today, we're focusing that he is the prince of peace. The true test of your character comes when you are under stress. During his life, Jesus had to endure extreme stress many times. We most often think about this during Easter, but for today, I want us to look at another day in the life of Christ where he was placed under constant pressure. And obviously, he endured multiple challenges here. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 12. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. And let's stand together as we read that this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Because this also includes Matthew's uh, translation of Isaiah. Matthew 12, 15 through 21. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. The word of the Lord, I hope it brings blessing to you. You may be seated. You see, this passage in Matthew is not a passage where everything is going smoothly for Jesus. This is a rough and demanding period of time. The demands are not just from his enemies, but from his followers as well. The passage begins with Jesus being tested by his adversaries. It starts on the Sabbath. Jesus and the disciples go walking through a grain field, and the disciples, being hungry, which they were, 
grab some grain for their own so that they could eat. Understandably, right? But technically, it was against the Jewish law of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees confronted Jesus about it. And obviously, they're nitpicking even for religious people, and they knew that. They were purposely trying to nitpick at Jesus, just to get him to trip up, just to say one wrong thing so that they could condemn him. How can we tell this? Without going into great detail, because obviously that could be a whole other sermon, but we know that with, with Jesus, he always backed everything up with Scripture. And when he did, they backed off. And trust me, if they really had a case against Christ, they would not have backed off. But every time, Christ would approach them with the truth. And even they could not deny that. But then they got another opportunity. There is a man with a withered hand. Most people would see this as a problem. And the fact that Jesus could heal him as a blessing, it should be all good, right? Except for the Pharisees, they see it as a chance to hurt people. You know, I almost feel sorry for them as a whole because I think they knew the truth. They just choose not to accept it, much like a lot of us. We can see the truth, but a lot of people just can't cling to it. And I think that's what the Pharisees were experiencing here. So you kind of feel sorry for them. But I don't think they got into the ministry to be mean people. I don't think they got into it to condemn Christ. But because they were clouded by their own judgment and that not of Christ's, that's where they tripped up. And that's where a lot of times we trip up, I think. You know, I would argue that he does, but people miss them. Because as people, we have always had the ability to miss God. Look at this. They are in the presence of a man who claims to be God, and they claim that there are no miracles being done. Clearly, him being there was a miracle. Clearly, what he was doing was a miracle. And I think that's why people claim that today. How come God does not perform any miracles today? I believe he... He, he completes them on a minute-by-minute minute basis. We're sitting here, aren't we? We're here to worship freely, are we not? That, in turn, is a miracle. And I think the naysayers, no matter what you present before them, they will be like the Pharisees. Even if they hear the truth, they don't accept it. You would think that if Jesus can do it, they would turn and follow him that they will have all the proof that they ever needed. But they are not after proof here. They are after blood. Look at why verse 10 tells us, they asked Jesus about healing the man, and it says that they might accuse him. They weren't searching the truth. They weren't looking for his explanation as to why things the way they were. They were there to condemn him. But then he is faced with the demands of those who would call him friend. Verse 15 tells us he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. You have to understand the point here. It is not that Jesus minds this. God desires to have a relationship with us and to spend time with us. 
He has just been rejected by the people who are supposed to serve him. You know, most of us, that's, that's a bad day when people reject us. This was a life-altering thing for Christ. He was here to serve. He was here to be the ultimate servant. But every step he took, he was met with the challenge. How many of us feel like that today? That no matter what we do, no matter what we say, we're met with the challenge. And so it, it pushes us down. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to feel helpless. He wants us to feel hopeless. But we know as Christians, we have Christ right there the whole time. We have the answer. We have the truth. We have the opportunity to overcome these things, not on our own accord, but because Christ is with us. Now, basically, you have to know that Jesus knew that this was a trap. He knew that he was going to be walking into traps. And it's not the guy with the withered hand's fault. So he heals the man and takes the opportunity to point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees along the way. And that's what Christ is good at, even in our own lives. You know, he, he presents opportunities to us that kind of make us go, oh, okay, I, I, I see what you're saying here. I see what you're doing here. And it almost makes us kind of take, take a step back and go, oh, that's why you did that. Well, that's why you want me to do this. You know, this is seen in the fact that here, Jesus, yes, he is 100% God, but he is also 100% man. He has just been rejected by the people who are supposed to serve him and also with the religious people as well. Not just rejected, okay? We've all been rejected. But these individuals, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to destroy him because he stood for everything that they didn't understand. It wasn't that they were out to get him, per se. But because he knew the truth and it contradicted what they were doing with the people, the Pharisees is what I'm referring to, they wanted to get rid of him because it, it cramped their style, so to speak. Okay? Lots of people followed him, and a lot of them needed healing. But notice, he took the time to heal them all. Now, the way this is written, we have this portion from Isaiah, so it looks like a glance like it had passed, but it, it didn't. That passage is inserted in there, and the narrative picks up here, okay? So basically, Jesus deals with the Pharisees. Then he heals great multitudes. And after that, verse 22 says, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Isn't that the way Satan loves to operate? Jesus has got to be pretty close to the end of his rope here. It has been a long day, and now finally Jesus must confront the supernatural. The enemy just loves to strike when we are weak. And I realize that for some of us, when we approach the week of Christmas, sometimes it could be our strongest point. And for some of us, it's our weakest point because we start remembering the things that we don't have or the individuals who are no longer with us 
or the things that could have been. We reflect back on the year and say, well, I mean, we can all sit here and say 2020 was a horrible year for many different reasons. But what about the blessings? What about the blessings that were bestowed upon us, bestowed upon this church during this time? That's what Jesus is wanting us to focus on. That is why God sent his son so that we have that hope and we have that deliverance from sin because it's real easy to get caught up in that and it's real easy to shift our focus into the the things, the wants as opposed to the things that we need and the only thing we need is Jesus Christ and that relationship that he so desperately wants to have with us. That's what he wants for us. That's what the gift was given for. So what is this attitude that marks our Prince of Peace? Well, it begins with our Prince being a servant. I think that we need to understand the word that we translate as servant. The word indicates a lesser member of the family, literally any member of the family other than the top member of the family, and could be referred to as this title. When the word was given to a servant, it was a household servant who was loved as part of the family. When God the Father calls Christ his servant, it is a servant who is loved, who is definitely part of the family. Then I want us to notice how, be, how he began his day, by doing what God always longs to do. He healed people. God wants to heal us. No matter what turmoil we may be going through, God wants to be there. He wants to step in and throw his arms around you. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said, and I'll take it further, what you're going to say. God wants to be there for you because his motivation is not what I can gain like a lot of us think. We do and say things for the, for the motivation of gain. His motivation was not gain. His motivation was love, not fame, nor profit. Notice after Jesus heals everybody, then he tells them not to tell anyone. How many of you, if you had that incredible gift of healing, would want people to know about it? Hey, look what I can do, right? That's not what he wanted. He wanted no credit. His motivation was love. Understand when God acts as a servant, it isn't because he has to. It's because he really wants to. And this is the type of service that is offered by a family member out of the love for his family. And that's what God is to us. He's family. He wants to love on us. He wants to take care of us. He wants to love us in spite of our faults. In fact, if he could love us even more, he would. That's the relationship he wants between us. That is why he sent his son so many years ago. Notice that servanthood brings God pleasure. Look at verse 18. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. He is pleased with us. Are you pleased with yourself? 
But again, in this specific type of servanthood, this isn't the forced servanthood of, well, since I don't have a choice, I guess I'll do it. That's not God's attitude. That's, that tends to be our attitude. This isn't the, the, the servanthood that comes with grumbling or seeks attention. This is the servanthood of a loved family member whose desire is to serve his family with the motive of love. Also notice that where Jesus is serving is where he was called to serve. He was doing something that he enjoyed. I was talking with someone and, and they said, just because you can do something doesn't mean you are called to do it. You know, we, we get up here in the pulpit and probably me mostly, I, I say, all right, who can help in this ministry? Who wants to do this? Let's throw you in there. Let's see what you can do. But understand that that's not really what God wants us to do. And let me explain. He doesn't want to throw you into somewhere where you don't feel comfortable. Or actually, I shouldn't say that. He likes to make you feel uncomfortable. That's kind of God's funny way of dealing with things sometimes. But he also wants you to be in a place where you can be serving efficiently and doing the things that he has called you to do and the things that he has gifted you to do, right? But you also know that within the church, you have the right to say no. Just because I come up to you or pastor comes up to you or anybody in the leadership comes up to you and says, you know what, we want you to serve on this committee. Or we think you would be best for that. It is not our desire to throw you into the fire. It is not our desire to see you fail. If it is something that you are not comfortable with, or if it is something that you don't think you're being called to do, don't do it. Do what God has called you to do. Do what is upon your heart. That's where the true love will come from. You will enjoy doing what you do if it is something that you are gifted to do. And I know there are times where people are thrown into things thinking they can't do it, but somehow they end up looking like a rose. They get through it somehow. They, they work through it, and they turn out they, they were perfect for that job. And I think that's what God does. He gifts people to recognize those gifts in others because if it were just left up to our own devices, we would all say, oh, I'm not gifted to do that. I'm not going to do that. Imagine if Christ had that attitude when he came to earth. Oh, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gifted to do that, but I don't want to do it. Or, you know, I, I, that's really not my area, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay back. My challenge is if you don't know what you're gifted to do, ask somebody. Because God puts it upon other people to recognize your talents and abilities. The way that you can be a servant to God. And Christ did that through his disciples. He did that through the people he healed. He did that through the people that he came in contact with. And obviously, the Bible doesn't talk about all those interactions, but I guarantee there were a lot more that, than were listed. 
That is God's goal for us, to serve in love. And that's why he sent his son, to be a servant for us in love. And he enjoyed every single minute of it. So he was called to serve, and he was doing something he enjoyed. And, you know, if we go back to our own church's mission, you know, our mission and our mission as a church is to help you find a place of service and then go do it. Like we watched in the video this morning. We know what we're called to do, but then go do it. Don't just sit back. Go do it. You know, this is why the key words of our vision statement are love it and live it. You're to love it and live it. It goes beyond something you can read or recognize. There has to be action put behind it. And that's what Christ was doing while he was here. He put action behind his words. He put an action to, this, to them, an outrageous claim that he was the son of God. But he backed it up. He had scripture. He had word. He had the Lord on his side. And he had the compassion to meet those where they needed to be met. Now, we talked about titles, but one of those titles and promises is that we would be, that he would be our mighty God. So he's our hero, so to speak, in modern terms. With that in mind, then look at the next point. Notice what flows from the servanthood of Christ. Justice. I've placed my spirit upon him, and he'll decree justice to the nations. This is kind of a cool verse. Here you have the entire trinity either mentioned or implied here. God the Father is talking. He's talking about Jesus the Son, and God the Father is going to send the Spirit to serve the Son. Why? Because of servanthood. Then we come to this word justice. This is another of those tricky words, but yet it implies justice in the sense of the word that we're used to, the things that will be set right, but it goes a little deeper. This word also refers to a, or in this case, the final judgment. In other words, because Christ was willing to act as a servant for God but to us, God then gave him the right to serve as our final judge and deliver justice, not just to you and me, but to the entire world. That is a prophecy. And when we understand the love that Christ has for us, when we accept him into our lives, it becomes a promise that we can look forward to. Of course, we understand that to serve as our final judge requires strength, which is why it's important to note that the change in God's tone as he talks about his servant. He begins to describe a determined warrior. I think it's important not to miss the determination that is described here. It's simplistic to think of this as referring to our mighty God and our hero, but this imagery runs even deeper than that. Look at the next verse. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. This is the picture of a peaceful warrior. What's a peaceful warrior? Well, whether we hear the term warrior, we think of someone who fights battles, wins big victories, 
sometimes while snapping off one-liners. We know about this in cinema, right? Picture Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Where are you going? I'm going to pick a fight. Kevin Costner in The Untouchables. Where's Nettie? He's in the car. Arnold Schwarzenegger, every movie he made, I'll be back. These were strong warriors. Christ was a strong but peaceful warrior. He realized who his foe truly was. And he set about to conquer that foe and ignore all the other difficulties of war. Because make no mistake, this is a war. We're in a war. How do we fight? We know that the war has already been won. But we also know that we must go. We must fight the battles. Think about it. If it were you or I, we would have seen the Pharisees as enemies, right? Look at their actions. They led his followers astray for their own gain. They looked to accuse him when he did great things, wonderful things. And then when they couldn't accuse him, they made it so that it just infuriated them. And so they wanted to kill him. We would think of these people as enemies. And while they made him mad, he never did. He saw them as lost sheep and he wanted to save them. That is why we have this description. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. It is a picture of a warrior who is focused on his goal. But it is the next line that really blows us away here. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Do you see it? He came in knowing that his victory would come at a cost. Jesus knew this prophecy. He knew what his life would be like. Can you imagine being him and reading this for the first time, like a script? You want me to do what? They're going to do this? I have to endure what? He knew what his life would be like. Let's see. Servant that God loves us as part of his family. That's cool. Check. Okay? Not crying out or quarreling. Well, I do have sin and death to conquer, so I, I can stay focused. Check. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Wait a second. That doesn't sound so good. Right? This verse speaks of cost. It speaks of suffering. It speaks of near defeat. The key word being near. A fire almost put completely out. That refuses to be put out. A reed that is almost broken but refuses to break. That is a rough battle plan. But our determined warrior said, I'll do it. I will take that on because I love you that much. The great thing is that our determined warrior didn't just want the win for himself. He wanted the win for all of us. 
his adopted family. Our determined warrior can do anything he already has overcome, the seemingly impossible, by conquering death itself. But this passage also shows us something else about God. Besides showing us what God can and will do, it shows us what God will not do. First, God will not leave us without hope. Hebrews 6.19 refers to the relationship we now have with Christ as the anchor of our soul. Yes, Christ left, but that was so the Spirit of God could come to be with us. But he left us with hope. Not the hope in things that have never been seen, but hope based in what he did when he was alive. Hope based the promises that already had been fulfilled. The word is used here, ellipsio, which is to wait, to expect, to rely upon, to place confidence in God. God said, my servant will be your hope and you can have confidence in him. Where does our peace come from? Is it from the absence of the storm? No. Because the storm marked the life of Christ. It is in the confidence we can have in the middle of that storm. Picture Matthew's attitude as he writes these words. This is what Jesus did. Even in the midst of a stressful day, He exactly fit the picture of our promised Messiah. And if he can fulfill that promise in the middle of a day like that, when he had the limitations of our human abilities, imagine what he can do now when he he sits at the right hand of God. We have hope in Christ, not simply because of the promise of Scripture, but because of the promises that he has already fulfilled. God doesn't make empty promises. He came to give us hope, and he will not leave us without hope. The second thing that God will not do is he will not give up on his people. Understand this again. The reason that Jesus was willing to walk away from the Pharisees rather than escalate the conflict because he didn't see them as enemies. He saw them as lost sheep. His desire for them was to come into his family. His desire was to save them just like he wants to save each and every one of us. If God wouldn't give up on them, he won't give up on anybody. If he is our leader, then we must follow him. That means we cannot give up on people. It doesn't mean that we can't distance ourselves from them because we notice that Jesus withdrew when his task was finished and things were getting too ugly. But he didn't write them off. He avoided the conflict so that if they wanted to come to him, they could. He provided them that opportunity. Despite them wanting to absolutely ruin him, he still provided an opportunity for them to come to him. He made himself real to us and gave us that peace that passes all understanding. I don't know how to tell you what it is. I can only say that it's wonderful. 
The peace which Christ gives is greater than our circumstances, beyond our understanding, and the peace Christ gives is always available. Before Jesus left his disciples, he promised after he was gone, the Holy Spirit would come and be with them, comforting, teaching, and encouraging them. Now his comforting, teaching, and encouraging is available to all who believe in Christ Jesus. There is never a moment in which we are away from Christ's peace. There is never a second when we need to worry or need to be afraid. The peace that comes from Christ is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A visual reminder for the source of true peace is on actually regular display along New York City's Fifth Avenue. At the entrance of the RCA building is a large statue of Atlas struggling to keep the world on his shoulders. On the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral. Behind the high altar of this church is a small statue of Jesus effortly holding the world in his hand. Peace is hard to come by when we strive to balance the world on our back. But when heed God's invitation to give him our concerns, the weight of our world becomes an effortless lift for the Prince of Peace. Now, unfortunately, mankind can never usher in peace on earth, no matter how hard we try. But someday Jesus will establish his everlasting peace. One day the Prince of Peace will come back. One day the Lord of Glory, who came as a little baby, placed in a manger, and was held in Mary's arms, will return as a reigning Lord on a white stallion. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia states that the return of Jesus to bring peace on this earth is mentioned over 318 times. As Jesus kept the first promise to come, he will also keep the promise of his second, which is he'll be back. And it will be a glorious time, a time unparalleled in human history. Jesus is coming to set up a kingdom of peace on this earth. Swords will be beaten into plowshares. The Middle East problem will be permanently solved. There will be no injustice, for Christ himself shall rule on earth. There will be no racism, no corrupt government, no terrorists. There will even be peace in the natural world, wherein Isaiah says that lions will lie down with lambs, leopards will lie down with baby goats, cattle and bears and lions will be herbivores. Babies will be able to put their hands down the holes of asps and vipers without any harm. After a thousand years of kingdom rule on this present earth, the Prince of Peace, God, will destroy the present universe and create a new heaven and a new earth where Christ's kingdom of peace will last forever. It's wonderful already to know Christ. But let me tell you, the best is yet to come. So as we close this morning, let me ask you, do you long for peace with God? Are you still at war with God because of the sin that separates you from him? You can't have peace with God by trusting in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to be saved today. 
Don't delay, Jesus says. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. In other words, I offer you peace. Christian, if you're troubled and tossed about in your soul because you have not trusted in God, especially in the midst of your trials, and you haven't focused your mind upon him, why don't you just slow down? Just slow down. Reorient yourself. And focus on what is really important, especially in the time of Christmas. Your relationship to God. Focus on him and place your trust in the God of the universe to take care of your problems. And never forget, though you can experience peace peace with God and peace of God, the best peace of all is yet to come. Someday Jesus will bring that peace to this troubled world. So we need to keep our eyes on that future king. And like a child... We need to trust in him. One quick illustration and I'll close. During the Korean War, Billy Graham had the opportunity of ministering to American soldiers. While there, he learned of an incident that stirred in his heart. On Christmas Eve, a young Marine lay dying on Heartbreak Ridge. One of the chaplains climbed up to the young man and whispered, May I help you, son? The Marine replied, No. It's all right. The chaplain was amazed at the soldier's tranquility, and when he glanced down at the man's side, he understood the source. He was clutching a small New Testament in his bloody hand, and his finger was placed on the calm assurance of John 14, 27. May peace I give to you. Is our life characterized by anything but peace? Today, Jesus is wanting to give you his peace. He came into the world to be your peace because he is the Prince of Peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will grant us peace. Peace in our homes, peace in our churches peace in our hearts, especially when it feels like the world all around us just spins out of control. Help us stay focused on you this Christmas time and always. Thank you for loving the whole world enough to send your greatest gift, your son, so we might truly have a very merry Christmas, even in a not-so-merry kind of world. Though Christmas is sometimes hard because we miss the ones we love, help us to remember the gift you gave, your son Jesus, a baby born to die. Thank you for this gift of love, and Lord, help us to receive it. In times of grief and sadness, remind us of the reason and fill us with your peace. Mighty God, I ask you for the power to press on, and everlasting Father, I thank you for carrying us when it's hard to walk. Wonderful counselor, I pray you'd fill our minds with wisdom and may the Prince of Peace rule our heart. As Dave comes to close us this morning, Lord, I ask that you continue to be with us. Continue to provide the 
the endurance we need to deal with this world. We know that you've already won. We've already received the gift. What's left for us to do is to accept it. To follow you in faithfulness. And then not just to sit on our haunches, but Lord, you say to go. Be a messenger. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. During this time and even during tragedy, during trials, during through all the things that we go through, Lord, you are still there. You still want to serve us. Because in all this, it's out of love. And we thank you for that. And so we pray in your holy and precious name this morning. Amen. I ask you to stay seated for a moment. I'm going to ask Kathy to come up. Dick and Mary Howard's daughter, Kathy, is asked to speak briefly, I believe, an update on your mom. Is that what it is? Pardon me? Yeah, come on. Come on up. Share an update on Dick and Mary. Uh, that's okay. Well, you're going to have to hold it, hold it up, hold it up close so everybody can hear you right here. Stand right here. There you go. Thank you. So basically, I have been on medical leave or family leave um, since early November, and my dad was hospitalized and then taken to transitional care and then re-hospitalized due to a fall in transitional care. He has been given to me as a Christmas gift back. He is pretty much 90%, 95% recovered. Um, he's still got a little ways to go. But then yesterday we had a, an emergent thing happen with my mom. She got hospitalized um, by ambulance. They rushed her in. And my mom has been dealing for five years with a 70% minimum blockage of her heart. That's 70% of the heart, not the carotid arteries, which you can go to 95%, 99% and still survive. This is her heart. And she went into the hospital, and my dad pulled us all together. Connie and, and Rick were over at the house, and so we just put our hands in prayer, and we just literally lifted her up to our Heavenly Father and said, you know, if it be thy will, and you can reach down and remove this blockage from her heart or do what is thy will but you know if it be possible to remove this well I got a call from my mom this morning and they have got all the tests back there is no blockage there is no blockage and if you don't believe in miracles I'm telling you I thought I had my Christmas present already with my dad but I get two this year that's awesome and I just want to say that in this dark world with everything that is going on and with all this virus that I think is Satan's tool I really think that if we look above this and we just keep our faith faith of mustard seed is all he asks and if we can get above that mustard seed and just keep that faith and look up to him and not let Satan rule and take you down because that's all he wants banish him from your house I mean, God says, cast him out. He is not welcome here. In the name of Jesus Christ, cast him out. And I think if we just all just take him away from our lives, let God in and let God take control, I think that everything in our lives will completely change. It waited five, I mean, we took five years for it to work, but I think it's God's timing. I think truly, if you just let go and let God... I think it's all God's timing. 
And faith is the most important thing. Well, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and faith. So you all have a Merry Christmas. I know I'm going to have a wonderful Christmas. And because Mom got hospitalized, I got one more week of family leave to spend with my beautiful parents. So God bless you all, and thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Lord, we thank you for that testimony of your power and your glory. And may this testimony be shared with those as you work through the family who will be drawn to you and your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you. Last Sunday night, we ended our Sunday night sing with the third verse of Away in a Manger. Afterwards, Lana shared that that was a song that she sang to her children, that verse, right? Hannah? I mean, Lana. When they were babies. But I got thinking this past week. This third verse is something we can sing and lift up to the Lord on a daily basis for us. Let's stand together as we close. Be This Thursday night, 6 o'clock Christmas Eve, our candlelight service. Thank you so much and be blessed. Amen. With him in the kingdom that is yet to come. Bless us as we take the cup. To your honor and glory. I ask. Amen. If you have your cup, if you picked up your cup, if you will take it. If you did not receive a cup for communion as you came in, you may go and get one now. We will permit the time for you to do that. The Apostle Paul wrote, For I have received from the Lord that which I have also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you will take the bread, please. Jesus said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this, blood, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. If you will take the cup, as we drink it, remember it represents the blood of Jesus Christ 
that was spilled for you on the cross. Notice his words. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare, you declare the Lord's death until he returns. Amen. Stand with me. David's going to lead us in a song. Jesus, Jesus. take a brief break here for a few minutes if you need to get a drink if you need to use the restroom if you need to walk around a little bit we need to set up for the business meeting those of you who uh, can't stay with us God bless you have a great day today and a great week ahead of you all right of that victory. Stand together. David's going to come and lead us in a song and then we will pray. I hope you stay with us for Thanksgiving dinner which is over in the fellowship hall. After we dismiss here we'll go directly over to the fellowship hall and sit down and break bread together. David? Yummy. Yes. Shoeboxes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We need some guys and gals don't want to be sexist here. I want to give everybody equal opportunity <laughs> to help us carry these shoeboxes out to load them into the vehicles so we can take them uh, this week to the distribution center. Okay? So if some of you can, you know, just a couple of us can grab armloads of these boxes and take them out. It'll only take a minute, and we'll save you a spot over in the fellowship hall. Yummy. Let's give thanks for Jesus Christ, right? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. 
Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the privilege of worship. We thank you for the fellowship of your people. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to service today. I have a few announcements for you today. First of all, if you check in your bulletin, you will notice a white half sheet in there for the church directory. We would ask that you would fill that out so we can get you included in that, so we can harass you and call you and email you and everything else that we can try to do. I don't hear all but one person laughing. They're not really excited about it. I don't think they want us to call them. Anyways, if you would do that, pull that up and place that in the offering box in the back in the foyer, we'd appreciate it. Stanley Jones, come on up. Well, good morning. morning. October is Pastors Appreciation Month, and we want to show our pastors we appreciate them, so we're having a special day on the 18th where we'll have a fellowship dinner following the uh, church service and we'll be honoring our pastors. Uh, If you would like to honor our pastors with a monetary gift, you can do that either marking an envelope and putting it in the the, uh, offering plate, or you can wait until the 18th and bring it in a card and and give it to them at uh, at the dinner. That would be really great to do because sometimes we don't seem to appreciate our pastors as much as we really should, and they do a marvelous job for us. So keep that in mind. The 18th is Pastors Appreciation Day. October is Pastors Appreciation Month. Thank you. Dave said he'd take MasterCard, Visa, and uh, cashier's check. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Good. (laughs) Also coming up in October, we have our Harvest Festival, which will be October 24th from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. There are sheets in the foyer ready for signups for the booths, for the games, and everything else that will be going on. So if, if you need more information on that, you can contact Hannah, you can contact myself. I'd say contact Pastor, but we'll we'll leave him out of it for now. Um, But Uh, We really appreciate all the help. We have a box in the back for candy donations, so start bringing in those bags of candy so we can give those out to the kids on that evening. Also tonight, we have Awanas again at 5 o'clock. Dinner's at 6.30. All are invited to attend, and we hope to see you there. Also, this afternoon, we have a church council meeting at 3 o'clock in the uh, choir room or business conference room, so be aware of that today at 3 o'clock. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Stand together with me as we give the call to worship this morning. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. 
May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, what a beautiful day it is to be in your house, to be here to give you the honor and praise you so deserve. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling. I pray for those who just don't have an answer for things, maybe at this moment. But Lord, we know that answer is through your son, Jesus Christ. We know that a relationship with him to bring us closer to you is all we'll ever need. Lord, I pray that we open our eyes and ears to the message that you bring forth today, and I pray that it will be like a cool wind on a, on a warm day, Lord, that you just refresh us and that you would lead us into the week as we prepare and um, await the opportunities that you will give us. Lord, we give you this day, and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.